well, science starts as a hypothesis, right? I mean, that's like how, that's how you run an experiment is you come up with a hypothesis and you try to disprove it. And then if you don't disprove it, then it's proved until you come up with a new hypothesis and try it again. And so, I mean, that's my, that's how I view science. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the Functional Diagnostic Nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. All right, Dr. Heather Hammerstedt. I figured I'd say both just to make sure I dotted my I's and crossed my T's. How are you? And welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. I'm great today. Happy summer. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I'm definitely enjoying it here. We were actually just talking, always a small world. Um, we've interviewed people from all across the world, like Europe. We've had Canada. We've had Australia. Um, I think even a couple of people in South America as well. And then go figure. Uh, Dr. Heather actually grew up in Pennsylvania, where I live and grew up, and then went to college literally an hour. Well, you went to a few different places, but one of them was Temple University, and that's only about an hour away from me. So like, I live in an area where like half the people go to Temple and half the people go to Penn State. So yeah. you know, and, it's I would, kind of, and I did both. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of one or the other here. And then um, very cool that she currently is in Boise, Idaho. And I got to go there for the first time for FDN of all things in May. And man, that's a cool place. That's the perfect mix of city, but not overwhelming. Like I can do that, but I, you did warn us that people are stacking in. So a lot of outdoorsy of stuff out here for people who are nature yes. lovers. Lots. I was just coming into my garage before I was coming in to, to meet you. And I was like looking around and I was like, okay, there's a whitewater raft and four kayaks and two paddle boards and <laughs> like six bikes. And I was like, this is like a classic Boise <laughs> garage right here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's off of me and my girlfriend's alley. It's like, I have a goal to hit the highest point in every state before I check out of here. Awesome. And so I know uh, that one is Bora peak. I believe yes. if I'm saying yeah. that right. So I can't wait for that one. Yeah. Um, Obviously, not the point of the podcast. We're here to talk about some health stuff. And you got a, a rather extensive background. I, I love, I, I tell you this off air, but I also like to reiterate this to the audience. I like to go into the interviews with a healthy level of ignorance and not so much that I can't ask good questions, uh, but just enough that it's truly an organic conversation. I think those make for the best podcasts. And when I was reading your bio, though, I'm like, whoa, whoa, you've been doing this for a while. Like even the coaching side, you know, which many people would look at as a bit newer. Um, it seemed like you had almost covered two decades of that. So we'll have plenty to talk about today. But I'd love to know first how you got into the medical medical route because our audience is good with this, but this is something I'm passionate about is bridging Western and functional or natural, whatever you want to call it, medicine together, because somehow each side some, uh, somehow believes like the other side's out to get one another. And I'm thinking, wouldn't it be smarter if we all just work together to get the best client and patient outcomes? So I'm guessing you didn't get into normal medicine because you're a sadistic person that wanted to hurt people. <laughs> I'm guessing you did it because you're probably intelligent and wanted to help. So how did that uh, career path start? Yeah, well, I mean, the summary, first of all, the summary is that like I I have realized over now, you know, t about 20 years that like we don't know anything in any 
sort of, we don't know everything in politics. We don't know everything in finance. We don't know everything in medicine. We don't need to know, know everything in, you know, alternative medicine. Uh, I think it's smarter to realize the things we don't know may have an answer later that we just don't understand now. And so, yeah, I totally agree. Working together is better. Um, I can give you, yeah, my story. So I think when I was like five or six, I remember sitting in like the grass and thinking like, I'm just going to be a doctor. And no one in my family had ever been a doctor. I don't know where that came from, (laughs) but I think it was solidified when I was 14. And my boyfriend told me, told me that girls couldn't be doctors and I'm super stubborn. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure that that is actually why I stuck through like 20 years of training. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I, I really did always like through college, I was a biochemistry undergraduate major. And I, I love the details of like cells and chemicals chemistry and like how things work together in our bodies. Um, I also loved food and the idea of like food as medicine. I got into medical school and I feel like I went in there clutching like Paul Pritchard's book that is like healing with whole foods from a traditional Chinese medicine perspective. And I really went in like thinking I was going to learn like nutrition and movement and all these things. And like, we had like a half an hour lecture on nutrition and like the whole time that was based on diabetes, which is very important. Like, don't get me wrong, but like my understanding of like how all the hormones worked with digestion was based on disease processes. And so when I was a third year medical student, um, I enlisted in the, um, uh, Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is in New York. Um, I was in Philly at Temple, as you said. Um, and at the time, it was an in-person year-long program. And I would go there, on the take the train up on the weekends and like study. And I got my health coaching certificate. So I actually had that before I graduated from medical school. Um, I <laughs> did you weren't a, doing enough already. <laughs> right. I don't, I, thinking back on it, I'm like, how did that even happen? But um, I, uh, during residency, also did a medical acupuncture program and spent some time in India learning Ayurveda. Um, and so all of that like really shaped all these parts of me that I wanted to put out there. Mm-hmm. But then when you're growing your career as a physician, there's so much to do, right? Like there's so many parts of you that are getting pulled in different directions and you're teaching and you're practicing. You're just trying to like be the best doctor that you can be. And as so- like soon it was like 10 years and I like hadn't been doing all these things that I knew that I loved about kind of health and medicine. And then I discovered lifestyle medicine, which is a relatively new certification in conventional medicine that's basically using the evidence behind food and sleep and exercise and mindfulness for the prevention and reversal of disease. And I was like, well, that's like what I've been, (laughs) that's what I've been looking for. So I did that certification and um, started this company, Holist, where this is what we do um, in a coaching perspective, like use all that to make people healthier. And, And I do still use it in emergency medicine. I still work full time emergency medicine. Um, I work nights, um, which makes it very interesting. (laughs) The staff and the clients uh, and the patients are all crazier. (laughs) So it makes it interesting. Um, But I use it all the time at work because like people come in and they like are suddenly like feeling it's like that event trigger of like I have chest pain and I'm super nervous. This is my heart. Thank God it's not. But you have an opportunity to talk to them about prevention and about like you know, I actually like print out prescriptions for exercise and nutrition, like from the emergency department, because I think it's so important to get people when they're at that moment where they may be like in a action mode instead of a pre-contemplative <laughs> mode. 
Gotcha. Okay, so one thing I'm curious about, and maybe you're just this type of person, because that was a fascinating thing of, hey, you're just laying in the grass one day and thinking, <laughs> I'm going to be a doctor. Uh, but yeah. I'm always really curious, especially when someone does have this I mean, very Western background in a certain sense, it seems like you were not only open, but like extremely interested in the natural side very early on. I mean, you were literally doing both at the same time. Where did that come from? Was that just a random intuitive interest, kind of like the doctor thing? Or did you have a family influence? Because I have found on here, it's normally one or the other for people. And there's a kind of a transitional moment that leads them to it. But it sounds like it was just a interest for you. Yeah, no, I think it was an interest. My parents are, are are very like traditional, conventional people. Like they're professors, they're in the sciences. Um, I, honestly, maybe it came for me out of music. I think I was always like I I trended toward music that kind of opened my mind a little bit more to like things that I thought were interesting to learn about. And I started reading about like herbal medicine, traditional Chinese medicine when I was still in high school and college, and um. I don't know. I guess I had a little hippie in me, maybe. <laughs> Very cool. I just, yeah, it's interesting. And I mean, obviously there's certain people that are just super smart uh, with your background. It seems that way. And I feel like intelligent people are just curious. curious you know, they want to yeah. find all this kind of stuff and just learn it. So um, I have a, a friend, he's a brilliant guy. And like, he's got like 20 different interests that he can speak on very well. You're like, all right, what? Like, wh when do you get free time, right? It's a lot of his time spent um, learning and studying. So I was just curious. That's interesting. Well, I think and, for me, it's yeah. like filling in the holes, right? It's like in anything you study or you learn, there are things that don't entirely make sense or there are pieces of it that it don't quite fit the puzzle. And for me, I'm always looking like, is there something else like that someone else has been studying? Like I've been studying this that I can take pieces of and kind of fill those puzzle pieces. And, and as like you said at the beginning of this, I think I wish more people did this because did that kind of way of thinking, because of course we don't know everything, you know, like, yeah, well, and it's kind of interesting because I mean, what you just said that sounds reasonable enough to me. I don't think most people think like that, right? Yeah. Because I actually, it was interesting. I had a, a gynecologist on here, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, who got more into the holistic side and now hires FDN. So it's kind of cool to 364 in a sense. And I remember asking her, she's a little more pessimistic with this, but I asked her, you know, Dr. Dunstan, you obviously were very traditional in the medical sense and then became extremely open to this. How would we go convince other doctors that maybe we should integrate all these together? And she's like, Evan, let me tell you something. You're not going to if they don't want to <laughs> believe it unless they unless they have some experiences themselves. It might be tough. And again, I don't know if it's if it's just that black and white um, all the time. But it was kind of interesting because you could even take doctors, generally speaking, very intelligent people, and they might still be kind of all right. This is the one way. This is how you treat disease. This is what you do. And then again, we see the same thing on the functional side. And I always try to promote the opposite of that because I think. We can be subject as functional practitioners or holistic health practitioners, whatever. We can be subject to the same dogma that got us in trouble to begin with, right? We went to Western medicine. We got upset because they were treating every problem like a nail and they just had a hammer. And then we get one diet that works for us. And now that's the only diet for every yeah. other person, right? Like that's the only thing we promote. So it's funny how we can have experienced the bad side of that. And then yet we go do the same dang thing. So well, it's kind of cool that you think so big with this. It's human nature though. Right. I mean, she's not wrong that, that mm -hmm. gynecologist, she's not wrong because, but it, I think if you went into like, not just healthcare, but into most realms where people feel passionate about, they have their 
their echo chamber mm-hmm. <laughs> and their ideas about what is correct. And it's hard to change people's minds once they have gotten down that way. Um, I, I definitely think, I mean, th- like politics, religion, like all the, you know, all the things. And sometimes I think healthcare can be that controversial for some people. Right. I think it, I think it hurts like mentally it hurts sometimes, right? Because we yeah. attack, we want answers. We want solutions to problems. We want answers to questions as humans. I think that's very natural. And so when you feel like you have something like I've, jumped so many different times, right? I've jumped back and forth with politics. I was an atheist. Then I was an agnostic, born again Christian that got baptized last year. And I actually, I appreciate that I've gone through these jumps because at the very least, you know, you got to stand for something. Otherwise you'll fall for anything. I love that quote, but at the same time, it allows me, hopefully, I hopefully do this to be respectful to people, right? I don't care what religion you are. I don't really care what political side you're on. If you're going to be respectful to me and I believe that you have the best intentions for people, that's cool. You have whatever beliefs that you want. Um, and very few people wake up and have bad intentions for individuals. It's very few. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. I mean, I think in every, you know, change and experience and failure that I've had in my life, I've only learned more about myself. And it makes <laughs> me be, like you said, like just more accepting and more understanding, especially me. As I said, I'm a, a, a nocturnist emergency medicine physician. I have lots of people making bad decisions <laughs> that come yeah. to me. And um, and I think it makes me a better doctor, my own kind of steps and forward and backwards to be like, yeah, like this could be any, you know, it could be anyone at any time, you know? Yeah. So to be clear right now um, with the, with the stuff that you do and the coaching that you integrate, so do you have a separate business outside of your job as an ER night shift doctor? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) So our company is called Holist. Um, It's a playoff of hospitalists, you know, gastroenterologist, gynecologist, just talking about the whole person. So Holist. And, um, and we do coaching mostly around food and metacognition around how um, our bodies and brains work around food. Um, and also specifically how we do or do not choose health behavior change and understanding how our brains work kind of neurochemically with that how to kind of flex meditation and other things like that to understand your brain saboteurs of why you don't make the changes that you think you should be making. And so we, um, we run a weight wellness program and a mental fitness program, um, both based on those concepts. And it's really fun. I have a bunch of coaches and sales folks and some uh, assistants and um, it's, it's been really rewarding. Nice. So what what is your, I got to ask, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs on the show because they might yeah. be practitioners and stuff. What does the day look like? Because if you're working all night, like, do you just work the other part of the day and then sleep some? Like, how does that work? Oh, well, so the, so this is the best thing about working. So um, the, the company that I am a partner of, our emergency medicine company, we um, get to choose how we pay each other. And when people don't want to work nights and they don't want to work weekends, and they don't work holidays, we just pay those shifts more until someone wants to work them. <laughs> So I work nights and then I can work three or four less shifts a month and I can choose my own schedule. So I usually work five or six on and then I have eight to 14 off. And so on my weeks that I'm working, I just plug on in and work out, sleep, eat, work, repeat. (laughs) And then I have the rest of that time for family and for running Holist. Oh, good. I'm glad that you get the time off because I'm like, this is the 
you are the healthiest looking night shift person I've ever seen. I'm like, I got to know the secret here. Like, how is she pulling this off? I'm so. five days into a week off. This is prime time. <laughs> there you go. All right. I'm like, yeah, what's the secret here? Because I actually, truth be told, I always was a night owl and I kind of liked being up. But yeah. man, health wise, I had to. I had to adjust it, right? Yeah. Like I would still do it if I could, but okay, that makes a lot more sense. You know, having <laughs> kind of a mix of both. So that's cool. Yeah. So if I were to uh, come to you guys for weight loss or whatever, obviously, yeah. uh, thankfully, of all the things I've dealt with, that's never been a huge thing for me. But obviously, that might be someone who does come to you based on the programs that you have. What would this look like for them? How would it be different from going anywhere else that they can possibly go for weight loss? It's a huge market. It's a huge market. And I think what's different is so we're going on the tenets of lifestyle medicine. So we're really working on like what is sustainable in terms of a lifestyle habit for you. So, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of it are it's a 12 week program. It's either a personal program where you have a personal food coach and a personal mindset coach or it's a group program where you share a food coach with a group of 10 other people. Um, and you get daily podcast information from me about nutrition and about macros and about metacognition and, you know, fasting and all the things that everyone talks about. And the coaches really help you implement that based on who you are. And so instead of taking, you know, one, a, a one pillar program and like stuffing it into you, regardless of who you are, this is like, okay, like let's learn about how our bodies and our brains are really functioning at this point. And how do I feel and how am I getting to my goals when I make certain small changes that I can amplify off of? And my goal is to help people make that internal change, like figure out what the why is of why you want to do that. So instead of like me telling you to restrict and you just rebelling and not doing it is Mm -hmm. like, you know, what's the progress I'm making? What does my plate look like? Like, how is this affecting my relationships or my work or my sleep? You know, all those different things that come into it. And so I think it's unique because it's really, it's a physician led program, um, really based on education and science and real food with no gimmicks and no BS. I mean, it's just really, what do we need to do? Uh, And so that's the weight wellness program. Cool. And then you mentioned the word metacognition a few times for those that, you know, might not understand fully what that is. How, how do you define that? Um, so I think of it as understanding my thoughts as they are in the moment that I'm in. So understanding like um, the thoughts that I have are creating my feelings, which are creating my actions and like just being able to trace that process in my own brain and not just reacting to whatever it is that I'm thinking or feeling. And I think um, in the sense it helps with emotional eating, it helps with cravings, it helps with anger during relationships or work or parenting, you know, those kind of like quick reactions that we have and being able to sit back and, and recognize what it is that your brain is doing to you and then thinking, okay, is it because my cortisol is up because I haven't been sleeping? Is it because, um, you know, I have my gut microbiome is off. And so I don't have, I've made enough serotonin so that my feel good hormones are off. Right. Or like, am I filling a dopamine hole with food when in fact what it is, I'm upset about the conversation I just had. It's like being able to really be thoughtful about like what actually is happening so that you can choose a response instead of a reaction. Okay. So that almost sounds similar to that whole uh, cognitive behavioral therapy triangle, right? Where they kind of go. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's, it's so funny to me because when people say this, it doesn't sound that complex, but really, unless you've tried to engage with this, and I'm sure I don't do this perfectly myself. Nobody does. Most of us don't <laughs> do this. We yeah. run very reactionary. Things yeah. happen to us, and then we respond. Um, we don't ever really think about how we're going about our daily lives. And I feel like 
you know, I always kind of say that, and it makes a lot of sense for what you're doing. The health journey and actually getting well, like if you're really trying to deal with the chronic disease stuff, because we've had some people come on here with wild stories. It's as much, if not more, of a personal development journey as it is a health journey. You could give someone all the lab results and all the greatest information in probably a matter of a few hours. They might not fully understand it, but I could give them the data and the protocols. 99% of people will still be sick months later after getting that if they're not uh, continuously worked with and supported in some way. Because again, we got to change something up here, not just what we're putting in our mouth or the other things, because if we fix this a lot of the other stuff can happen easier. So that's cool that that's a component. Um, I don't think most of us ever, some of us go through our entire lives, I think, without the privilege of realizing that we can control I, yeah, a lot I, of our reactions. Yeah, I, I think it's like, it's not just around food, right? Like, so I don't know if you, um, this is a really old book. I think it was from 1972, Herbert Benson. He was a Harvard psychiatrist who wrote a book. I think it was called The Relaxation Response. And I actually was, okay. I've did my residency in Harvard and I had the opportunity to work with him doing a, this is a, like a side, but did a, um, a study with him in our emergency department and it didn't end up working, but he was nice enough to humor me. Um, it was <laughs> like doing meditation <laughs> for procedures. Um, but so I, um, I, this, it's a fantastic book. Of course it's really old, but what I got out of that and have internalized for myself is that there is a very different thing between a stress reaction and a stress response. So like there's an activating event, right? Like maybe it's an external event that happens to you, or maybe it's a thought that is doing something to you. And a stress reaction is like an internal alarm activation. And you kind of start overstimulating your sympathetic nervous system. So that like running from the T-Rex problem, (laughs) running from the bear. Um, And then you internalize the situation. And then there is some sort of like, maladaptive coping or a breakdown of emotions, but you don't actually like deal with the event. Whereas like the stress response, you have that external event. And then if Mm -hmm. you're able to analyze your own thinking around that, then you have some sort of internal conscious processing that can cause mindfulness of the situation and like a recognition of the chain of events and what influence that's going to have on you, which makes you make deliberate choices and better control of your emotions and like a recovering back to an equilibrium instead of that internalization. Um, and I think that, that to me, um, I mean, I, obviously I'm an emergency physician. There's like a, there's a, like an external event, like every five minutes (laughs) and I'm a parent of two small boys. So there is an external event. (laughs) I'm an entrepreneur. There is an external event, right? Constantly, Um, yeah. So figuring out how to like, how to recognize that has been for me really personally important. And I think really important to anyone's health journey, um, whether it's around food, whether it's around wanting to lose weight, whether it's around just like, who am I and how am I responding to the world? You know? Yeah. And we can see this because there's times uh, throughout history and even currently where uh, you could take the pandemic. Many people are going through kind of the same thing. And yet there's these dramatically different responses. And, you know, although it kind of sucked dealing with a lot of the health stuff that I had, because there was a lot of physical things, but there's also some uh, some severe mental health stuff. I'm so thankful that I had to work on those things before this craziness happened in the last three years, because I don't, I already felt off 
uh, over the last, oh, like when it first began, right? Um, yeah. It was tough to get out of in a sense, but I had the tools and I had the awareness now. I'm thinking like, man, if I was eight years back, I just would have been going in a downward spiral. And yeah. you don't know why in the moment. If you don't have this awareness yet or these techniques, you have no idea why you feel this way. It's so disconnected from the event itself and you feel hopeless. That's that's really the thing. So this is re-empowering people to be able to take control over their lives and make the best out of the situations that they might be dealt with. Yeah, I mean, I think we all need to give ourselves grace that the last few years like has been this like tumultuous period that even if we had these skills, you got to you got to be gentle with yourself that using them was not always easy as well. And so you're you're right yeah. in that. Yeah. Um okay, sorry, I cut out for a second. I was just making sure that I, I was making sure you still weren't talking. So, all right, with your particular program then, um, we kind of talked about how that might look and how that might work. From my understanding, from remembering the bio correctly, you've been doing coaching for 19 years. Is that is that right? Yeah, I took a little hiatus at the beginning of my emergency medicine career. But yes, I, um, I 2003, when I was a third year med student is when I got my coaching certificate. Okay, cool. So then great question for you. We have a lot of people that are just starting their coaching journeys yeah. and FDNs, you know, by definition, they might be a coach in a sense, but our program by itself is more the labs science, which has its own importance. We're not teaching the coaching skills as much. We do have some advanced courses for that. We have many people, including myself, that actually have come from Institute for Integrative Nutrition and then transitioned into FDN. So I did it. It was fully online by then. Yeah. Uh, that was like, 2016, I think I did it. Um, so yeah, that was fully online by then, but it is good to have both sets of skills. My question is, as someone who has been doing this before it was trendy and cool, what is like one great tip? Like if you could, I mean, I'm sure we could do a whole podcast on this, but if you could give a tip to a starting out coach uh, for them to effectively work with their clients and help them through the hurdles, uh, help them help their clients rather through the hurdles that they might deal with, like what's one tip you might give them? I think just like, be, like, I think that the people you want to work with have to be you. <laughs> I mean, like, mm -hmm. I, I think that like, I have been most successful um, creating a program that I knew that I could use myself being in a crazy schedule and having enough time to like get it in and speaking to that kind of mid-career professional woman um, going through the same struggles that I have. And I think that if you're inauthentically trying to coach people who you have not had their same problem, they're going to feel that. Um, and so mm, I think okay. like finding that group of people, like finding that niche, finding what like really sets you on fire and like speaking to that, people are going to gravitate to you more um, than if you're, if it's not like something that feels like you're not like, I always feel like, I should feel like I'm not working when I'm talking about stuff like this, you know, because I love it so sure. much. Well, it's actually a great business tip too, right? We actually talk about business a lot on the podcast. And I, I always say, because people say, well, how do I get, um, how do I start out my business? How do I, they use this word, compete uh, with yeah. other people out there? And I'm like, well, you have to understand that your unique experience and story is valid, not only from the business side, but from the coaching side. Like, I might be someone that doesn't have a doctorate. I might be someone that doesn't even have a college degree relevant to this stuff. 
However, having gone through the things that I've gone through, I'm going to understand unique pain points and struggles that someone else might not be able to. I know that people with severe cystic acne, because that was one of the things I had as well. um, People with severe cystic acne check the mirror a thousand times a day. They're embarrassed to get in family photos. You know, they feel like they're not worthy of dating. Those might overlap with other conditions, I'm sure, but that's not every condition, right? So like that's unique to a certain type of person. And I, I never thought about it like that, but like, obviously, yeah, from the coaching side, you can just support them at a higher level. If you, if you get them on that deep level. And interestingly, some of the better outcomes might just be because they trust you more since they right. believe or know that you are actually well, and part you can of hold, the journey you can as hold well. space open for someone that they didn't know they needed. If you have walked mm-hmm. in their shoes in a way that someone yeah. else can't do. Now, you talked to Reed before. You obviously know how big we are in the labs. Um, It's not the only thing. It's just a tool that we use. I'm curious, in your programs outside of, obviously, the ER stuff, obviously, they're going to do blood testing there and things. But outside of the ER stuff, are you using lab testing in your business or is it mostly around the coaching? Yeah, it's all coaching. I mean, my business model is that I wanted to reach as many people as possible. And you can do that in a coaching realm. Um, And so Hmm. I've used the tenets of lifestyle medicine to create a coaching program that we can implement, but we're not practicing medicine. So we're not doing labs. We're not interpreting labs. And we're trying to work with people's primary care as best as possible. In fact, one of the newer things we're doing in 2023 is partnering with uh, physician clinics. So with obesity medicine, lifestyle medicine, direct primary care and med spas to do coaching for their patients so that they can do all the medicine and communicate with us. And we do the coaching aspect and sort of outsource that for them so they don't have to pay those labor costs and work together. And I think that um, I think it's a pretty good model moving forward because um, we can't all do all the things. <laughs> right. That is true. That is true. I actually, yeah, yeah I always kind of say I prefer, it's not that I'm trying to be lazy because there are FDNs that do add the coaching side to their practice. But to me, I'd rather kind of just be good at the one thing. And there are people, it's actually nice knowing that you have this because there's plenty of people where, you know, when I'm on an onboarding call, I can tell that they need so much more on the coaching yeah. side than they do on the lab side. I'm like, all right, this is not going to work. I, I promise you, you got to go address that first. And then if anything's left over, because you'd be surprised what can heal when you do get the mindset stuff, yeah. right? Um, then we can work on the labs, but the labs and these other things kind of become useless if the person needs that high level coaching and, and you're not offering them that to them. So right. well, that's I mean, interesting. I think or- vice versa too, though, like um, having hmm. some data coming from labs um, can be very helpful in terms of helping people navigate what is the first thing that they need to approach. And so what I really like talking to Reed when he was on my podcast about that um, portion of it. And I did kind of needle him a little bit because like I'm a biochemist right from trade. And so I'm like, well, what's the pretest probability of ordering a test and what are you going to do with it? You know? And so we had a good back and forth about that. <laughs> nice. Well, that was actually kind of my next question. If you obviously see the validity in the the lab side. I mean, are you always recommending that people work with someone else too? Because, or would you just recommend that they work with you guys exclusively? Like what are the limitations, I guess, then if you believe that there are, is validity to uh, the lab testing side for these clients and maybe even some other therapies? I think people should have as many helpers as they need. Like some people okay. come and they just need us to educate them and give them the roadmap to how, you know, it works for them for be healthy and fit and strong and meet the goals they want to be, whether it's like chasing grandkids or 
climbing Bora Peak, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but there are people who were like, we're really, you know, if your primary care doctor is open to talking to us, we would really like to talk to them, you know, and like inform that relationship and work with them. If someone wanted to work with a functional person as well, like that's totally fine. I am open for like all of the collaboration that is possible that needs to get someone to their goals. Sure. There was um, kind of resetting a little bit. There was mm -hmm. something in your bio along the lines of having this, uh, some kind of moment where you realized you talked about like BS almost, you know, you're yeah. pretty blunt. There was kick-ass and BS in yeah. the bio. I loved it. <laughs> um, but some of the BS with the Western side. Now, what's cool about you is you're obviously still deeply involved in, in both. So you see that there's great in both too. But when you say BS, uh, what, what were you referring to specifically? What's the BS going on? I don't on even remember what my bio part? said, but I, um, <laughs> I do. I think that what I can say, I'm very proud to be an allopathic physician. I think we do really, really well in a lot of ways. And that's one of the reasons why I'm an emergency physician, because if someone needs me to put in a chest tube or do CPR or <laughs> intubate that, right? Like we do a really good job at all of those very procedurally based life-saving things. And mm -hmm. I think um, we have the potential to do really well in the primary care fields as well, but they are so overwhelmed and overworked outside mm -hmm. of their own um, ability to control, right? A lot of it is insurer based and it's administrator based and they're just running a hamster wheel and doing the best they possibly can. And I think because of that, that is why people who have more complex issues feel unheard and can get lost because they can't get into the primary care or they only had 10 minutes, right? Or whatever it was. And then they come to me as the other option that's open. And I'm like, great news. You're not dying. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and yeah. so it's in between there, I think is where we're missing a lot. And I think that there are businesses out there that are going to solve this problem that are like health advocacy companies that are helping people navigate in between all the different specialties and the different things that they want to do and kind of bringing them to harmony. But I do think that that is a big thing that we're missing. I'd love to know what you think about this because this is just, it's a loose like kind of theory that I have because again, I don't want enemies um, between Western and natural. I, I want it to work complementary. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be an amazing thing. And one of my things that I always go back and try to ponder is like, okay, well, how did we end up being so amazing with the Western medicine side for certain things? Like if I break my arm, it's incredible that we can do that. If I have, gosh forbid, a heart attack, it's incredible that we can go take care of that for some people. How... Then did we screw up so badly on the, um, you know, the, a lot of the autoimmune stuff and all these different things. My thing always is it looks like Western medicine was created in demand to our crazy world. Like, you know, there was infant mortality rates super high. We were, you know, breaking our bones and we kind of created stuff for that. But it seems like we're still using that paradigm for these new age lifestyle-based diseases, um, and it's just not the right paradigm for it. So that's like my loose theory. But like, how do, how does it get it so right in certain ways and then so wrong? Am I correct with that, or is it just are they overworked? Is that really the main problem? I'm curious. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think that like science evolves, right? Like, were we really good at like fixing heart attacks 30 years ago based on doing? you know, Different. cardiac catheterization and putting drug eluting stents in that we do now, you know, like I can get someone to the cath lab 20 minutes after they come in with their 
you know, Widowmaker, you know, heart attack and save their life. And we couldn't do that 20 years ago. And I think autoimmune diseases are a great example. Like from a personal perspective, my mom's been hospitalized four times in the last six weeks. She's still there in Pennsylvania. And I think there's an underlying autoimmune problem that's causing all of the other things that she has, but no one's been able to put their finger on it. Like, and we have like six different specialists seeing her and trying to find someone to meld it all together. It's complicated because we don't really understand the autoimmune system nearly as well as we, we will in 15 years. I mean, think of everything we've learned about the gut microbiome in just the last Mm -hmm. five years is like astounding. Like I could be here for like an hour just talking about that. (laughs) And so I think that that's coming. And I think, uh, anyway, I don't know if that exactly answers your question, but that's my initial thoughts. No, it does. And I mean, I have something to add to it because that that makes sense. It's like, okay, well, obviously we weren't seeing the same level of like autoimmune type stuff. At the very least, it wasn't getting diagnosed. I also don't think it existed in the amount that it does today, 200 years ago. So it's like, all right, well, we have to create stuff for the immediate problems. And again, you had things like uh, something I reference on the show a lot is like early 1800s in America, you had a 50% child mortality rate by age four, which is like the saddest thing in the world and crazy. So yeah, yeah, we have to address that problem first. And so maybe we start putting more research dollars into things like that. And then yeah, right now there, there is a lot of research being done in the autoimmune space and all these things. I just think think our modern lifestyle has gotten or shifted so greatly so fast and created so many new problems for people that it's like, holy crap, we it's hard to keep up sometimes for Western medicine. But it's still also too, it's a different paradigm. Because Western medicine, especially like the pharmaceutical companies, they're going to still look for a treatment or something similar to an autoimmune condition. Whereas like an FDN practitioner, we're not treating or diagnosing anything specifically, but we're, we're utilizing the labs and the natural protocols Unruh to hopefully problem. allow the body to get back to where it's supposed to be. So it's still a, a fundamentally different paradigm, I think. Yeah. Well, I think, unfortunately, you know, you follow money. You know, I mean, think about like how fast the pharmaceutical companies and the medical device companies worked at the beginning of the pandemic to come up with what they did, regardless of how you feel about COVID vaccines and testing came very fast when usually it's a 20 year process to come up with something new. And that's because there was attention and there was money on it, right? Like how much attention and how much money is on lifestyle diseases and autoimmune problems? Like there's just not like, to be honest, it's not sexy and it doesn't make them a lot of money. And that unfortunately is like, that's where the the research comes from. And somehow that's how we're a little bit stuck. I did want to give you like an example of another example of how I've seen medicine change pretty rapidly and kind of gives you that like perspective of things moving. So sepsis is like an overwhelming bacterial infection of your blood. It can cause organ problems, can cause shock, can cause death can come from any bacterial organization. When I was finishing residency, you know, 18 years ago, we had all these like very clear protocols of what we like thought hundred percent need to be done for this. There was like central lines put in and certain press, like vasopressors and certain things that we were doing every single time to all these people. And now here we are 18 years later and we're like, yeah, that doesn't work. <laughs> and, and like, is Sorry. that is that yeah, I mean is it a is is it a bad thing? No, we helped a lot of people, we learned a lot of things. Did 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 it hurt people? I don't really think so, but now we're like realizing that it didn't really do the things the studies that we had at the time that we thought were validated and and were, you know, successful, it has not turned out to be the case and now we shift to a different direction. And so I do think that um when we're thinking about medicine as in all the rest of healthcare, it is 
science, but it is also the art of the application of the science based on what we understand as humans and as a kind of healthcare community and as a scientific community. And so I have hope um, that there are things that we don't understand, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, autoimmune problems, all these things that like right now, a lot of Western medicine is like, I just don't, I don't really, I don't know. <laughs> Right. Um, that we're going to understand and, and be able to like come up with a unifying underlying cause and kind of treat that. Mm -hmm. I personally think that, um, you know, food, sleep, stress reduction, uh, movement and mindfulness is, is really the base of a lot of this. Yeah. That would be great if we could just get people on track with that. Yeah. I, I think it's really cool because you mentioned off air and in the beginning, um, and it, it was so genuine. I could tell like this, desire to actually be open to all perspectives and things. So I hope I can ask you this question because I, I really mean it in an open way. I'm, I'm the same way. I try to be at least. I want to be on both sides and, and think from both perspectives or however many there might be on a given topic. But you just mentioned this thing about science and implied how there's like this evolving aspect to it and it constantly changes. And one of the fascinating things you saw in the last three years as well, I mean, again, I'm not picking on on one side. If anything, full transparency, I would probably lean towards more of that side, although I, I don't know after these three years. But there was a, a push to follow science as if it was God. It was this overarching truth, 100% right, and you are idiotic uh, not to follow it. What did but it sounds like you also recognize that, hey, well, there's this side that can evolve and sometimes we're wrong with it, but it might be the best that we have. So that's why I go back and forth with it. What did you, not from a political side, just a medical side, what did you think from that narrative of like, follow the science, follow the experts, don't question this, do what you got to do? Are you talking about COVID? I, I am talking about COVID over the last three yeah. years. Yeah, it's, it's dragged on now, but it started, yeah. I think, with COVID. I started hearing that much more. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I mean, well, science starts as a hypothesis, right? I mean, that's like how, that's how you run an experiment is you come up with a hypothesis and you try to disprove it. And then if you don't disprove it, then it's proved until you come up with a new hypothesis and try it again. And so, I mean, that's my, that's how I view science. Um, I, I, um, I also, I, at the, I mean, you also are talking to someone who was, in a papper intubating people who are dying from Delta in 2020 every day. That's why your perspective I think is very valid. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, yes, I was very, I mean, I was on NBC nightly news talking about, please stay home and please wear masks and, you know, please be mm -hmm. respectful. Um, I did a lot of that in mid 2020. Um, and I stand by that. I think as with all of it though, like COVID evolved and our understanding of it evolved and here we are now. And like, honestly, the strains that we have now are like nowhere near as dangerous. And so the way that I feel is very different than when I thought I was going to die, you know, <laughs> you, yeah, like trying to take absolutely. care of people. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, but I do think that I think all nope. of us need to think about science as as an evolving process. It, it does answer my question. And this is why like organic conversations, but you never know where it's going to go. And I, I don't want it to become a COVID thing, but I, I just appreciate anyone that 
is a curveball person. Like I don't know, and I won't ask on air. That's not appropriate. But I have no idea which side, if you will, you would lean on. And I like that about you, right? Because it, it creates, I think, healthier thought for people. And that's again what I, I strive to be. I'm probably not perfect at it. In fact, I know I'm not. But None of us I, are. <laughs> I, I like to talk to people like you because it helps me. So I'm curious about this. If I can ask one follow up question, then because I've, I've never gotten a good answer to this, but you might be the person. So you talked about you were on. Um, the nightly news even uh, talking about staying home. Totally get that, right? Because there's many deaths that occurred from this. What's fascinating to me is, and you actually, you might probably know this faster than me. Do you know how many people died in the USA from COVID offhand, roughly speaking? I don't. Oh, I, over yeah. a million, for sure. Yeah, over a million. Over a million, yeah, okay. for sure. Yeah. So at what, because you've been a doctor for a while. So let's take a, a bad year of influenza. You got about 60,000 people dying. Pneumonia mm-hmm. might be, you know, 20, 30,000 from my understanding. So let's add that up. And I don't want to over-exaggerate it. So that might be 90,000. Let's say it's 75,000 on a given year, those two things combined. And we never have told someone or people to stay home. Now, over a million is a hell of a lot more than 75,000. At what number of deaths do we tell people to stay home for a virus? Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't think that's where you were going. Um, I don't think it's a number of deaths because (laughs) when we were like, when we were very clear, which was the first month or so of the pandemic, it wasn't, it was because we did not know how to treat or what was coming. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's less of like how many people are going to die and more like, I literally do not know what to do for you. Like I, if you came in, I would be like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to support you in all the kind of supportive ways that you can. I'm going to intubate you and put you on the machines and give you blood pressure medicines and all those things. But like with pneumonia and flu, like we know what to do. And now with COVID, like we know what to do. And so like, it's less the number for me than it is like, what, like, can I actually, or can I take care of you, know what to do and have room for you in the hospital? That was like the biggest issue. It was like, I literally might not have room for you. And that happened in a lot of places. Thankfully it did not happen here in Boise, but. Okay. Well, and it might surprise a lot of people, but that's, I took the same exact approach in the beginning of the pandemic. I have, Mm -hmm. thankfully I took photos of this because people wouldn't believe me. I have photos of me with an N95 in February of 2020 because I was so paranoid about this. I, my crackpot brain went to, because remember, we didn't know what it was at the time. I thought it was, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the super bugs I I read about. It's going to be antibiotic resistant. It's going to kill everyone. Put on the damn mask. Like I'm freaking out. Um, So of course you get more data and then you you do it differently. The reason I asked the question is because, um, and again, so I was someone who was in that boat to be fair, but I'm always like, I'm fascinated even with the mask thing, because, you know, there are still some people to this day that would talk about, you know, pushing them at like, a holiday, whatever, because you could kill grandma. I'm like, okay, th- that, that is true. And I'm more likely to kill grandma with COVID being spread than I am with the flu or pneumonia from my understanding. But grandmoms still die every single year from the flu and pneumonia. And you weren't a bad person for not wearing a mask. So that's, mm-hmm. I guess a better way to word the question is like, all right, well, COVID kills a lot more people though. But you weren't telling me that at 75,000 people dying from pneumonia and the flu combined. So at what number between 75,000 and whatever COVID is, do we start saying you're a bad person for not doing that because no one was a bad person for not doing that for those things prior to COVID existing? Do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's kind of yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, it's I like, do. Where do we, I, we where do definitely we come did up with not. This? There was definitely like not a stay at home like there was in March and April of 2020, but mm-hmm. we were asking yeah. people to vaccinate against the flu yep. and against pneumonia so we didn't hurt grandma and hurt the little kids. And so that sure. I think has the same um, kind of relevance to it. But um, yeah. Very interesting. Cool. Um, thanks. I love, uh, 
it gives me something to think about. I've asked mm-hmm. that question to a few different people um, on a variety of different sides, but I just like anyone who's open-minded. It helps me mm-hmm. think I'm always trying to develop my thoughts with every area. And I don't yeah. know if I have. The funny part is too, people think when they listen a lot that I have certain opinions on things and they don't realize I'm just arguing the opposite. <laughs> yeah. um, sometimes the opinions that I give on the show are actually the exact opposite of what I think, but I'm trying to get a good counter. So a yeah, totally. uh, little secret for anyone who listens regularly. <laughs> so with that, with that said, um, you have a specific approach that you've learned and developed over 19 years, basically of the coaching thing Uh, before we wrap up our time here and then re shout out where people can find you guys, if they'd like to work with you, because I'm assuming they can do so remotely Uh, for someone who's done this stuff for so long. I'm sure there's like some interesting testimonials or cool stories. So to to the degree that you're able to share for privacy sake, I'm wondering like, are there any like really interesting stories that come to mind of someone who maybe came to you and they were really struggling before they've tried a bunch of things and then they got better uh, using your program. Yeah, I think the most fun, I mean, on average, people who come to us for a weight wellness program will lose about 10% of their weight in the 12 weeks. And the vast majority of them have done that sustainably. And so that's like, that's the number, right? But the things that I love the most are like the woman who's like, I don't need my insulin anymore. Or someone who's like, I got to drop off one of my blood pressure medicines, or I got divorced because I realized that that person was not serving me. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, or I decided I deserved a better job, right? I mean, all these things that like, when you take the time to like, really analyze yourself and your thoughts and what you think your value is, and what you fuel yourself with and how you choose to think and move. Um, it really can change all those aspects of life. And those are the, those are the definitely the most fun wins. I don't support divorce. <laughs> I just want to say, yeah, I was about to say it's like, but you know, I came I in to very, lose a few pounds. I lost I, my husband, <laughs> but I was very proud. You know, I'm very proud of all those movements and anything that anyone wants to do that they think is going to move them forward. So. I, and I, I have it, that again, that's one of those things. It's the second time today I said this, but It's a whole podcast in and of itself. I won't mention the name because they're actually someone who I I know in real life. It's not a family member, but someone I know in real life. Uh, Both of the people, when they divorced, looked a thousand times healthier in six months. Like both of them got better, healthier, stronger, have everything that you can imagine. And it's really interesting, you know, because you get into these traps sometimes where like, um, and I'm all for people trying to work it out. I would hope that I do that, but sometimes maybe you're just not compatible or it's been freaking 20 years and you guys are on completely Grown different, in different paths places. Of, of yeah. growth. Right. So it's just interesting to see like how much that affects things. And one of those people, the reason I brought this up is the person had tried the gastric bypass surgeries, all the weight loss pills, all this stuff probably lost. I mean, without exaggeration, 40 pounds within six months of the divorce. Um, and not in a, a, clinically like scary way. It was like, they look great now. And I'm like, how on earth could they have been doing all that stuff beforehand? And then they do that. And then all of a sudden, seemingly actually having worse habits than before, the body weight just kind of falls off. It, it's really interesting. So stress interesting. So the stress, psychology behind yeah, this matters. Stress, <laughs> stress, inflammation, and cortisol can be a, can be a big <laughs> obstacle in a lot of different parts of our lives. That is for sure. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I want to uh, rapid fire a few things here. This is going to be, because it's rare, honestly, that I get to talk to someone who is so involved, both with uh, Western and natural. So I find it fascinating. Um, But a question, I have a signature question at the end, but a new question I want to start asking our Western folks, uh, because it's something that's been on my mind lately. I'm not particularly old, but as I get older, I'm like, okay, 
I've, I've really been blessed to heal a lot of things. Now I want to take it a step further and get with really intelligent prevention. So as a doctor, as someone who actually knows Western medicine quite well, uh, maybe it's blood work, maybe it's something else. What are some like markers or tests that you would look at maybe yearly um, for people to prevent certain things? Because I think a lot of the functional folks, we get too involved um, in just like the out of the box labs, which is great. I use those all the time, but I'm starting to realize like even something like homocysteine, if I just get that measured, that can be a really wise thing for someone who has a, a family history of some heart issues on my dad's side. So uh, what are some things that people can measure for preventative stuff to see if something's going awry? Yeah, no, I, it's a great question. Um, I do think that there are probably a lot that are, are recommended. And as I was inferring to in my conversation with Reed earlier on curating your health is like you have to make sure that you and your practitioner or physician are prepared on what to do with that result because otherwise mm. it's a waste of time and can often make people more stressed if they don't have a solution to what sure. the problem is. Um, but I think um, thyroid is always important. I think vitamin D is very important. I think uh, a fasting insulin level is very important. I think CRP and homocysteine is really important. Um, and vitamin B12 levels are probably important in most people. Um, and then just kind of the basic CBC and comprehensive metabolic panel is probably where I would start. And I think making cool. sure um, that you're staying yeah. up with like those preventative screening exams, you know, whether it's prostate or whether it's mammograms, colonoscopy at the um, ages that we're recommending um, are important because you can catch things really early. I have a, I, I have a friend who's my age. So mid forties has stage four colorectal cancer right now. And it, you know, it's just one of those things that like th those screening exams while while, while annoying to have to keep up with really can catch things before they're that bad. Yeah, that's, and it's a, a new point for me that I, or a new thought for me that I keep going back to. And that's why I want to start asking those types of questions on the show when uh, I'm lucky enough to have someone who can answer it because you know, a lot of these people that listen, we actually have overcome crazy health stuff. So I'm thinking, well, the last thing we'd ever want to do is get sick again. And, you know, sometimes we can almost be in a fear mindset. Like, I don't want to see the labs. Like, I feel good. I, I hope I'm good. I'm assuming I'm good. It's like, dude, you, you're probably way better off than you were when you started. Like, and yeah. you know that that's, I feel great today. So I need to be objective. I need to look at the labs. I ran some blood work in the beginning of the pandemic and I felt great, but I was still, I still had some things to work on. I actually realized my homocysteine was a little high. My vitamin D of all things was a little low considering how good I am with the sun exposure. So I knew that was something else. Um, the, th there were some other markers as well that were just rather interesting to me. Nothing crazy, but that's the point. It's nothing crazy. So I can see it now. I have some action steps to take to do something about it. And um, I'm, I'm due to get it checked probably pretty soon. So I'm going to go do that. Thank you for that answer. Um, second to last rapid fire question is you already mentioned a couple of books. I'm not sure if this would be the answer to this, but as someone who is as well read as you are, uh, what's a really great book that you would recommend to our practitioners? Hmm. Well, my, my favorite book of all time is called cutting for stone. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about tonight, but it is written about, um, uh, uh, physician, you know, 50, 60 years ago in Africa. And it's a beautiful story and it is so well written. And so I always recommend everyone read that. <laughs> okay. Um, Thank you very much. Um, 
And let's see, in terms of food-related stuff, I think um, How Not to Die is an excellent book by a lifestyle medicine physician, and he's at Nutrition, I think it's, what is his website, nutrition.org. I think I'm speaking wrong on that. But um, So How Not to Die, that comes with a cookbook, which I think is great. It's all plant-based, lifestyle medicine-based stuff. Um, and then there is a, um, Dr. Fung wrote a book about the complete guide to intermittent fasting, which I think is really interesting. If anyone is interested in like figuring out like how practically fasting works. I mean, we could talk again, I could come on for a whole hour and talk about the physiology about fasting and how it can really help with a lot of parts of our lives. Um, especially in terms of weight management, but also, gut microbiome and um, serotonin and dopamine levels and everything else. But practically, this is a great book to be like, well, what do I even do to like right. schedule that in, but also like just think I'm not eating <laughs> instead of like making a plan of like how I'm going to thoughtfully eat as much as I need to eat within a smaller window. So I think those would be my three answers. Sure. And then the signature question on the Health Detective podcast, kind of I would fall in line with the book to a degree, but a little different. And the question is, if we could give you a magic wand, in this case, it would be you, and you could get every single person in this world to either do one thing for their health, or you can get us all to stop doing one thing for our health. What's the one thing that you'd get us all to do? Oh, geez, you're going to get two. Can I give two answers? (laughs) You sure certainly can. I've had three sometimes, actually. Okay, so I'm going to wear my two hats. I'm my holist hat is I want everyone to just start eating more plants and have meat be a garnish. Um, (laughs) My emergency medicine hat says like, please stop doing fentanyl and meth. (laughs) Those are are two very different answers, but both very important. Yeah, ideally, hopefully the folks here, but you never know. Hey, you know, you never don't know. discriminate. So if you are AFDN doing meth, we advise you to stop. Please, please stop. Please uh, very stop. quickly. Yes. Um, where can people find all your stuff? You got a variety of things going on. So where can they find you if they'd like to get connected? Yeah, or, we're uh, at, at uh, holisthealth.com. We have information there. We have, plant, we have a plant-based 30-day transformation challenge there. We have a way to get in touch with us about our weight wellness and mental fitness programs. Um, if you're a physician or a practitioner or an FDN practitioner that you want to partner with us to work together, we have information there um, as well about how to do that. And we can hop on the phone and chat. Um, I have a Facebook group called um, Midlife Wellness Collective that's on Facebook. There's about 10,000 of us there. I have a podcast called oh. Curating Your Health. Um, where I interview people all the time in the healthcare um, world about what do you wish everyone knew about what you did? <laughs> and so it's really fun from an educational perspective. And then at, on Instagram, um, I'm at Mama EM Doc and at Holist Health. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here with us today, especially recording with me on a Friday. You are the one of the first people to show up on a Friday night to do this. So I appreciate you. When you work nights and random shit, like this, like, this is like any other <laughs> I was about night. to say, yeah. <laughs> this could yeah. be morning yeah, for all you, for you know. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome.